You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in Genesis 27 this morning. And uh, back in Genesis, after a, a couple of weeks hiatus for the holidays, and then Brother Ruckman preached last week, and, um, and so we're back in Genesis 27 because the first time we were in Genesis 27, um, it's 46 verses. And so I was trying to show you a little mercy and not go through the whole thing. This is a long narrative and tough to tackle in one sitting. So uh, we're going to try to get through the rest of it this morning. Um, and we actually aren't going to read the, read the whole thing um, up front. We're going to do it a little differently this morning just because I'd like to go through the whole text Today and uh, we'll probably just read it as we go through it. But let me just remind you about what's happening here. This is the story of a dysfunctional family. Uh, this is uh, this is Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob, and we get a glimpse into their home in Genesis 27, and it's not a pretty picture. Uh, this is full of drama. It's like it plays out like a daytime soap opera, and the sad part is. This is the, the family God chose through which all of his blessings would come to the earth. This is the family that God wanted to use to bless and be a blessing. And they're so dysfunctional, they can't even interact with each other normally. And last time we saw the devices that they tried to use to get what they wanted. And the conclusion we came to, and, and we'll, we'll continue with the thought this morning... The conclusion we came to was, if you use the wrong device, you can't possibly get the right results. You can't use a drill to hammer a nail. It's not what it's designed to do. And in some ways, that thought continues today. And so we'll be looking at this whole passage and trying to make a good, use, efficient use of it this morning. Uh, but I'd like to pray before we get into it. And again, doing things a little bit differently. But just as before we jump in, let's pray. And ask God to help us. Father, we love you. And we need you. And we can't do this part without you. We can't do anything without you. But we need you especially right now. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate these truths. And there's a lot to tackle. So I pray that you'd help our minds to be focused. And I pray that you would help us, no matter the pace we work at and go through this on, uh, in, that you would help us each to be tuned in and locked in. Because I do think there's a principle to be learned that is a help to every one of us, God. Please illuminate it and bless your word and help us as we look into it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many baseball fans we have. How many of you follow Major League Baseball on any level? Okay, just a few of you. And it used to be America's game. Apparently it's not anymore. So um, if you follow baseball at all, then you know, maybe you're familiar with this controversy surrounded the Houston Astros in the World Series title in 2017. So just a few years ago, the Houston Astros won their first championship as a team, and the whole city of Houston celebrated. The team was happy. For 55 years, the team had, had toiled there in Houston without a title, and they finally got the monkey off their back in 2017. And it all seemed fine until January of 2020, two years ago, when a report came out stating the Astros had been guilty of sign stealing. Now, if you know anything about baseball, I'm not talking about they were stealing street signs. 
They didn't have a basement full of stop signs. When I say sign stealing, what the Astros had done, and it, it sounds genius until you realize it's against the rules, but they, they had set up a camera in center field, and that center field camera was aiming at the catcher. Now, if you know, again, know anything about baseball, then the catcher, he gives signals to the pitcher, you know, fastball, curveball, you know, inside, outside, whatever, however, you, whatever the, the signals are, he gives signals to the pitcher, and that tells the pitcher uh, what pitch to pitch, and then the catcher and him are on the same page. So the Astros um, had set up a camera in center field focusing on the catcher. Well, what no one knew is that in the dugout, either players or Houston Astros staff had a monitor that they were watching so they could see what the, the pitch call was. And then, you know, to take it even further, they had a, a, they, they had a method to let the batter know what the pitch was going to be. And they found out the most technologically advanced way to do it was to bang on a trash can lid. So, I mean, they would bang like a couple bangs for a curveball and there's no sound, that's a fastball. I mean, very high tech from that point on. Well, so they did this for a couple of seasons. And one of the seasons in which they did this, they, they were involved in this sign stealing, was the year that they won the World Series title. So it came out and, and of course then Major League Baseball was unhappy. The title had already been won, but, but they fined the Houston Astros $5 million for this sign-stealing scandal. The Houston Astros then fired their manager and their general manager immediately. But really, even worse, the worst fallout from this episode in the Astros' history was the perception of their title. Because many pe people view their 2017 World Series title as invalid and they say, well, they were cheating, so it doesn't count. And in fact, many people say that their championship deserves an asterisk. Now, do you know what an asterisk is? I'm, I'm going to show you, just in case you don't know, the asterisk. <laughs> Probably one of the most uh, mispronounced words in the English language. Most of us say asterisk, but it's asterisk. And I'm going to be saying that a few times today and I just wanted you to see what I'm talking about in case you're confused you can leave it up there for just a little bit an asterisk is a symbol used in writing as a reference mark to indicate an omission or a doubtful matter so in this case the Astros won but they didn't win the right way so pure baseball fans say that there should be an asterisk next to the 2017 Houston Astros World Series title because the end result looks good they won the title but it happened the wrong way so they deserve an asterisk that's what people say now you can take it off the screen maybe we'll bring it back up if I sense you falling asleep or something later but Genesis 27 feels like a chapter that deserves an asterisk see the entire family is out to get what they want and even after certain parties win, they did it in such an inferior way that you almost want to put an asterisk up near the chapter title, chapter 27, 
and put a big asterisk right up there. And I'd like to walk through the story and then bring it back around to this and see some truths today. And because it's a long passage, I think the simplest way to break this up is to try to digest it in six different scenes. Okay, We're going to try to move quickly through the six different scenes. And we've been through a couple of them already, but I'd like to do that real quickly here. Scene number one involves Isaac and Esau. And it reveals Isaac's desire to, to give Esau the blessing. Look at verse 1 in chapter 27. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so he's blind and he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold now, I am old, I know not the day of my death. So he thinks he's going to die. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. So what's at stake in this story? Well, the whole story centers around this thing called the blessing. This is the prize that everybody wants. The blessing represents the spiritual inheritance of God and a connection to the future Messiah. So the blessing is a big deal. This blessing doesn't just represent money. It doesn't just represent land. This represents a connection to the future of the Messiah. God gave promise, a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in you or from your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bless you. You'll have all these riches. You're going to make a difference in the world for eternity. This is a big deal. Everyone wanted this blessing in this story. So from the start, it's clear that Isaac intends to give the blessing to Esau, the firstborn. Now Esau and, and Jacob were twins. They were born just about right at the same time. Esau was born first. Jacob was grabbing his heel. Jacob came out right after. But Esau was the oldest. And therefore by Jewish custom, by cultural custom, the oldest would receive most of the inheritance. He would be the one that gets most of the inheritance. And so Isaac is assuming he's going to give the blessing to Esau... But there's two problems with that. Number one, God had clearly told them that Jacob would receive the blessing. The elder was going to serve the younger. And you have to believe that Isaac knew that. He was simply defying what God had said was going to happen. That was problem number one. Problem number two is that Esau had married some Canaanite women which were not followers of God. They didn't love and serve the one true God. So he had disqualified himself from being the heir. So there's two problems here, and Isaac is ignoring both of them, and he is saying, I still intend to give Esau the blessing, even though God told us not to, and even though Esau has disqualified himself. Here's Isaac, the son of Abraham, and he's rejecting God's plan for his family. You know, this act by Isaac is what sets the whole thing in motion. And dads, I just want to talk to you. I'm not going to talk to you very long. I just, want to, I, I just want to mention something. We can blame everybody in the story for their role in this. But it starts with a dad that is working his plan instead of God's plan. Dads, you set the tone for your family. And how you obey God's word is how your family will obey God's word. 
And how you follow God is how your family is going to follow God. And your commitment to church attendance on Wednesday night will determine your family's commitment to church attendance on Wednesday nights. Dads, you set the tone for your family. We see it right here. Scene one lesson is when you trade God's will for yours, you create all kinds of tension. Because what follows from here is like driving with the emergency brake on. You don't have to do it. But if you forget to take it off, it sure does make driving a lot harder and a lot smellier. And it does damage to your car. That's what they're doing. Rather than just release the emergency brake and follow God, they're driving with the brake on and making it much harder on themselves than what it needs to be. Most of the tension in this story and in our lives is because we choose to do things our way instead of God's. Most of our messes are not because of it's God's fault. They're due to our choices. I mean, think about what Isaac is being driven by here. He loves meat. That's literally his motivation for what he's doing here. He is letting his flesh lead and it's creating tension in the family because flesh always creates tension. Galatians chapter 5, let me just give you a list of things that result from flesh when you follow the flesh. Okay, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Wow. When flesh runs your life, get ready for a list like that. Because there's no surprise that this family dealt with all the mess they did because flesh was driving dad at home. Look back at the biggest messes that you've faced in your life and you can trace most of them back to letting your flesh determine your actions instead of God. Isaac and subsequently Esau then have no interest in following God's will and it causes major problems in the family but unless we say they're the only ones guilty, they weren't. Because scene number two takes us to Rebekah and Jacob inside of a tent. Verse five, we'll start there. Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field. So try to picture this. This is scene two. Went to the, Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth, because that's all he cares about, basically. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father peradventure will fill me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son, only obey my voice, and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched, 
and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Wow. You know, I, it all goes back again to Isaac deciding to do what he wants to do and creating tension. Because as a response, now look what Jacob and Rebekah are doing. I just want to point out a few things here. Isaac and Esau were attempting to earn God's blessings through the device of disobedience. That's bad enough. But Rebekah and Jacob are attempting to earn God's blessings through the device of deception. And it's not like one is better than the other. They're all wrong. You know, in most stories, most good stories, you've got good guys and you've got bad guys and you've got tension and you've got resolution in most good stories. Well, in this story, there are no good guys. Nobody is doing things the right way. You know, it's almost hard to root for anybody in this story. It, there are no good guys. There's so much not to like. I mean, I think about Rebecca. Why is Rebecca eavesdropping and sneaking around? Why is she listening to what Isaac and Esau are talking about? That's not God's design for the family. Uh, in, down to verse 8, she says, now, my son, now therefore my son obey my voice. I mean, dads and moms should be on the same page. They shouldn't be pitted against each other. I mean, Rebecca and Isaac should be working together. But Rebecca's saying, now son, obey my voice. Listen to what I want you to do. This isn't God's design for the family. In verse 9, she says, I, you know, we know your dad loves meat. Let's use that against him. She's using his weakness against him, which I think is a natural gift for some wives. Okay, I'm not going to talk about that. But listen, this isn't, God, this isn't the way God's, God's designed for the family. Right. And you could use that phrase after every verse. You could use that phrase in every scene. This is not God's design for the family. This is not God's design for the family. Now, by the way, the dysfunction of this family can be seen in how they interacted or they didn't interact, you might even say. Now, listen, in no scene are all four of these people ever together. It's only ever in twos. In scene number one, you've got, you've got Isaac and Esau. Scene two, you've got Rebecca and Jacob. In scene three, you've got uh, Isaac and Jacob. You've got Jacob and Rebecca. You've got Isaac and Esau. And at the very end, you've got Rebecca and Isaac finally coming together, uh, husband and wife, mom and dad. But it's not till after the mess has been made. You know, that tells me is mom and dad, you got to get together from the very beginning and get on the same page or who knows where the family is going to devolve into. Uh, not till the end are they even come together. And at no point are all four people in the same room hashing it out together. Now listen, this is not the way a family is supposed to function. The family unit, even today, it's being pulled apart by schedules and cell phones and busyness. You name it, no wonder our family unit's falling apart. So after Rebecca unveils her plan to Jacob, he has an objection. And you know what I wish, you know, have you ever read the Bible and you think, well, maybe this time it'll be different? I, I wish that Jacob would be like, mother, I respect and honor you, but I can't do this evil in God's sight. But instead he says, mother, Esau's hairy, I'm not. And let's make this real deep here. You know, and just, just to make it even 
almost more humorous, even though it's not. I get it. It's not, but it's almost humorous, is that Jacob is in his 70s. Okay, see, it is a little humorous. Like, this is, this is dress up, but they're not young men. They're old men, and they're doing this stuff. And, and, I mean, just think about the mess that gets created when we all try to do things our way. This is, this is where you end up. And his objection is not about God's righteousness. His objection is, I'm hairy. I mean, he's hairy. I'm smooth. What are we going to do? If I get caught, I don't want to get cursed. He's not worried about God's righteousness. He's not worried about doing right. He just doesn't want to get caught. So Rebecca convinces Jacob to dress in Esau's clothes. They go through his dirty clothes hamper and find the smelliest ones, I guess, and put goat skins on his, on his neck and on his hands and dress him all up so he can seem hairy to his blind father and get blessed. You know, here's the truth, is that God's people often try to get God's blessings through inferior means. And it's happening right here. We use inferior devices and we expect spiritual results. And let's just keep reading and see if it happens. Look at scene 3 in verse 18. And he came unto his father. This is Jacob coming to Isaac. And said, my father. And he said, actually, he probably was, my father. He has to lower his voice, maybe. Because I imagine, I mean, isn't it natural? Esau would have a low voice. And Jacob, you think, probably doesn't. Okay, so here he is. My father. And Isaac says, here am I. Who art thou, my son? He already has questions. And Jacob said unto his father, I am, I am Esau. My firstborn, thy firstborn, and I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near. Almost like something sketchy. That's the Hebrew, something sketchy. I pray thee that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because his, his hands were hairy, as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? He's still not convinced. And look at Jacob. He just bold-faced lies. He said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's venison that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him. And he did eat and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now my, and, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field. That's what a manly man smells like. You smell like a field, apparently. The smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, and here's the blessing. God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. You know what, at this moment, you might actually think they pulled it off. Jacob deceives his father. Jacob gets the blessings. And listen, there are plenty of times, scene three, the truth is that God's people might actually appear to be successful using their methods. It may actually look like you pulled it off. 
There may be times where it seems like you're successful through your manipulation. But consider the links of unrighteousness Jacob had to go to get here. Just consider his lies. His dad said, are you Esau? And he says, I am. He lies about his identity. In verse 20, he makes it even worse. At the end of verse 20, Isaac said unto his son, how is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. He lies about God. It's one thing to lie about who you are, but Jacob, in my opinion, blasphemes God and claims he's involved in an unrighteous scheme. If you read each of Jacob's answers, you see how he has to keep telling more lies in order to keep up the charade. And on the outside, Jacob the deceiver appears to get what he set out to get. And if you're just watching the result, you might say, well, he got what he wanted. He got blessed. And we might even appear to to get what we desire through deception sometimes. But listen, that doesn't mean that we're spiritual. Even if we come to church and we look the part and people say, God bless you. Or teenagers, uh, when when you're doing what the adults uh, in your life are telling you to do on the outside, but when you're doing something different, when people aren't watching, and yet you come to church and you guys look nice in your ties and you're dressed up, and the adults say, God bless you, young people, but you know what you are. You know what's happening behind the scenes, and it's not just young people, it's all of us. We're good at putting on a show on the outside, but the point of this scene is we're good at playing the role of Christian, and we might even appear to be successful, but deceptive tactics never lead to God's blessings. God didn't bless Jacob because he came up with a good scheme. He was going to bless Jacob no matter what. Jacob didn't need to be deceived to be blessed. He didn't need to deceive to be blessed, I should say. If he had simply done things God's way, God would have made sure this turned out. Don't you think if this was God's plan that Jacob gets blessed, that God would have made sure it happened even if Jacob didn't put on Esau's clothes? Absolutely. But because he went to these lengths, there were serious consequences. Look at scene number four, beginning in verse 30. The fallout of doing things our way only increases the tension. Verse 30, it came to pass... As soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac, they barely miss each other. Can you imagine how awkward that would have been? Esau coming in, he's like, hey, are those my clothes? Like, what's on your hand? What's on your neck? They barely miss each other, thankfully for Jacob's sake, probably. Verse 31, and he also made savory meat. He made it. He brings it in. He brought it to his father and, and said unto him, Father, let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all that before thou camest and, and, and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. It's done. And when Esau heard the words of his father, think about this scene. He cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. 
And he said, is not he, not he rightly named Jacob? That means heel grabber, supplanter. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, behold, I have made him thy Lord and all his brethren. Have I given to him for servants? And with corn and wine have I sustained him? And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, He gives him a lesser blessing. Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above, and by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Man, what a mess. I mean, Isaac trembles. It says he trembled very exceedingly. It means he, he realized the extent of the deception and he can't stop shaking. That's the result when you do things our way. Esau's reaction is even worse. He cries with a great exceeding cry in verse 38. He lifted up his voice and wept. And don't you think, I mean, it's not like they had probably had thick walls on the homes and they were living in. It was probably more like a tent. Uh, and, and can't you imagine that Jacob and Rebekah could hear it all going on? I mean, if he was weeping and crying bitterly, I mean, what was already tense is getting much worse, I mean, already. And it becomes clear that our devices only make the messes worse. I mean, Jacob's true nature comes out. Esau says, is he not rightly named Jacob? Which means heel grabber. When he was born, they named him Jacob. He was grabbing the heel of his brother. And ever since, he's been doing the same thing. He's been tripping up his brother. He did it once for a bowl of beans and got the birthright. And now he's done it for, for some meat. And he's, now he's got the blessing. Jacob's true nature comes out. And listen, when we do things our way, we're not going to like who we are. We're not going to be happy with what we turn into. We're, we're not going to be glad that we're deceivers and that we're, we're trippers, that we're heel grabbers. When we refuse to do things God's way, it just reveals who we are and our methods always leave a mess. Always. This tension is so much higher than it had to be. That's what our way does every time. And look at the result in scene five. Almost done. You're doing good. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee to Laban, my brother to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Then, will I, then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? As if it couldn't get any worse. Now Esau wants Jacob dead. Pay attention. Follow on. Okay, we're, we're getting to it. Here's the thing. Jacob got what he wanted. But by doing things the way he wanted, he also got some things he didn't want. His brother hated him to the point of murder. 
In verse 42, Rebekah says that, that, that killing Jacob was going to be a comfort to Esau. His father would likely never trust him again. So that's what Jacob gets. He, his brother wants to kill him. His father will never trust him again. His mother comes up with a plan. By the way, Jacob's not the only schemer in the family, it seems like. Because Rebecca comes up with another plan and says, now this time just go to Laban, go to Uncle Laban's house and be there a few days. Well, that a few days, by the way, turns into 20 years. 20 years. And we're never told that Jacob and Rebecca ever saw each other again. So Jacob, did you really, yes, uh, God blessed you, but did you really want your brother to hate you? Did you really want him to want to kill you? Did you really want to lose your father's trust for the rest of your life? Did you really want to have to leave and never see your mother again? Is that really what you wanted, Jacob? Is that really what you were setting out to get? Listen, doing things our way instead of God's only leads to destruction every single time. The way that seems right unto a man, that way leads to death, according to Proverbs 14. In Romans 6, Paul said, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And friend, I'm just here to tell you this morning, sin always has consequences. You cannot be the exception the way, for the wages of sin is death. And when we leave God out of our plans, it puts us at spiritual risk. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, by the way, you are already at spiritual risk. The wages of sin is death. You're already condemned. But God sent his son to die on the cross, his life for mine, to die in your place so that you could place your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work and you can be saved, yes, even this morning. It's possible. It's what God wants. But listen, you won't be the exception if you think that sin won't have consequences for you. Always, every time, sin has consequences. There are no exceptions. And when we try to do things our way, it always puts us at risk. Jacob's choice was leave or die. And you know, this is a story full of asterisks. I mean, one disclaimer after the other. But I'm thankful, though, that the big truth at the end is that God's promises are bigger than our bad choices. Because look what happens at the end of, the ver- of chapter 27, verse 46. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life. This is scene six. Because of the daughters of Heth, if Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do, do me? And Isaac, verse 28, or chapter 28, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him. And said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padan Aram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. See, in the end, Isaac finally comes to his senses. He comes to the point of submission to God's plan. He blesses Jacob like he should have from the start. Jacob receives the blessing like God promised. Rebekah's happy because she got what she wanted. Esau seems to come to terms with it. He has to accept what happened. 
And in the, in the end, listen, this is important, this transition. In the end, none of their choices, none of their bad choices affected God's plan. And so you might say, well, then it's no big deal. I'll just go do what I want. God's just going to do what he's going to do. I'll do what I want to do. No, this is a big deal. See, think about it. If God's best plan was going to happen anyway, why go through the heartache of working against it? I mean, Isaac is distraught that his wife and son would deceive him. Esau is destroyed and bitter. Rebecca has to feel empty that she tricked her own husband. That's got to make things bad between the two. No mom dreams of sending a son away uh, if, to, to uh, avoid being killed by her other son. I mean, yeah, God's will, stuck, his will still took place. And God wins because he always wins. But from the beginning, they could have simply said... Whatever you want, Lord, and avoided all the drama. Just gone along with God's plan. Because, but this is a story full of asterisks. You see, poor choice after poor choice. Jacob still wins the prize. But rather than being happy and content about God's plan, he's leaving his home. Does God's ultimate plan get accomplished? Well, yeah, but it happens in such a poor way that I just want to put an asterisk next to the chapter title. See, here's the application. We do this too. It happens to us. In that God has a plan and he wants it to happen and we can either just go along with it and have no regrets or we can do things our way and have a bunch of regrets. You tell me which is better. Just to submit to God's plan and have no regrets about it because you obeyed and you did what you were supposed to or look back on everything and be like, boy, I should have done it that way. Because I, I guarantee Jacob was thinking, boy, I, I kind of regret this course of action. And we do it too, but we do it in small things. In that something comes up in our lives and we respond poorly. Maybe there's a situation with somebody and you lose your cool. And you get mad and you say something you shouldn't say. Well, and that, maybe that situation gets resolved. And afterwards you're like, well, that was no big deal. No, there's regret. See, it's an asterisk, and you think, I could have done without saying what I said. And, or maybe you respond poorly to somebody's comments, and later things are fine, but in your mind you think, I should have handled that differently. It's an asterisk. Or you have a decision, and instead of doing it God's way, you try your way, and it backfires. And you know what? It may even turn out fine, because God has a way of overcoming our bad decisions and blessing us because he's a merciful God. I'm thankful for that. Things settle down, they get better, but you can't help but think, I should have just followed God's plan and I wouldn't have any regrets. Maybe you had an opportunity to serve or lead and you dropped the ball. And maybe it doesn't affect anything or too much now, but you know, inside there's an asterisk. You were faced with maybe a family situation like our story. And this happens a lot in families. And you just insisted on getting your way and insisted on having the last word. And maybe you did. And right then it felt like a win. But right now it doesn't. And looking back, you know you didn't do it in a way that pleased the Lord. It's an asterisk. Maybe it's personal. And you have a secret sin. But you look apart. And everyone thinks you're fine. But you know there's a lingering disclaimer. That doesn't have to be there but you can't shake it. 
And you're going to go through the motions and you're going to look the part and you're going to serve God. And people are going to say, God bless you. But you know there's something you haven't dealt with. And you might live your whole life serving God on the outside. But the whole time there's a lingering asterisk that you've never gotten rid of. And it's always lingering. It's always in the back corner of your mind. Maybe as a spouse you've made some mistakes that seem like an asterisk. And those things are okay now. But you can't think back on your marriage without regret. So I'm just asking you today. I mean would you rather just go through marriage and life. And just deal with it as it comes. and, and, And try to make the right choices without regrets. Or would you rather take a wrong choice. And take a wrong path. And have regrets in your marriage. For the most part, I'm assuming we're good, strong Christian people. And for the most part, our marriages in this room, they're going to end up fine. I mean, we're, we're going to be married. We're going to stay together till death do us part. Well, that may happen, but do you want to do it with or without regrets? Because, yeah, you made the choice. You made the vow to God, and, and that's not going away. But you can either do it with a clear conscience or, no con- or, or unclear conscience. And as a parent, listen, there are plenty of times our reactions or our choices, they seem like an asterisk. And I'm I'm thankful for God's grace. But sometimes all I see is the failures. I'm telling you, those asterisks, it's hard to say. Man, they loom large sometimes, don't they? The things you said you shouldn't have, the way you said it. Listen, the opportunity for an asterisk is... They're, it's abundant. It may be a sinful habit or, or anger or unforgiveness or lack of discipline. And, and that disclaimer keeps you from moving forward. Maybe your life is defined by the asterisks. We all have them. We all have those lingering disclaimers. You know, Jacob, he wanted God's blessings, but he sure liked to do things his way. And I want God's blessings. But if I like to do things my way, I'm going to look back and I'm going to have lots of regrets. You know, maybe it's about us and that, you know, somebody might, about you, he might say, well, he's a good dad. But he's got a real anger problem. God wants you to be a good dad. He wants you to be effective as a parent. But man, that one asterisk in your life is keeping you from being what you're supposed to be. And maybe it's time to erase that thing. There's, you see, somebody might about you say, she's a good wife, but you know, she just doesn't, she lacks some self-control. Or he's not a bad teenager. She's not a bad teenager, but boy, that spirit of rebellion, that's kind of a, it pops up every once in a while, and that's an asterisk in their life. Or, or maybe about you as an Eastside member or somebody trying to get involved. You know, they go to church, but, but they can't really serve because they're not faithful on Wednesday nights. You know, we, in, as a church, we're, you know, we want people to serve. We want to give you an opportunity to do it. But the first requirement to serve is faithfulness to every service. And maybe that one asterisk in your life is keeping you back from what God wants to do with you at Eastside. Maybe it's time to just decide I'm getting rid of that disclaimer. I'm not going to let that hold me back anymore. That small thing is going to keep me from moving forward for God. No, that's not worth it. You know, she's a good employee, but she's always five minutes late every day. 
we want to give her a raise or a promotion, but we really can't until she gets that asterisk fixed. What's the disclaimer in your life? What's, what's your asterisk? You need to identify it and ask God to give you victory. Listen, you can experience God's mercy with an asterisk, but you, can, you get to enjoy God's blessings without it. I'll say that again. You can experience God's mercy with an asterisk because he's a merciful God. But you get to enjoy God's blessings without it. So would you rather have an extra dose of God's mercy or have an extra dose of God's blessings? Listen, they're both good. But I'd rather just leave behind what's keeping me from moving forward and enjoy God's blessings. Rather than have to every day wake up and, oh, I hope he gives me some more mercy today because I really need it. Listen, let me point out a few truths about the asterisk and then we're done. Number one, you don't have to have one. You don't have to live with one. See, God's will is best and his ultimate will is going to happen. We can either enjoy it or we can have regrets. Why not just do things his way? And avoid the regrets and fix the asterisk. If only this family could have learned this lesson before the drama. God's will was going to happen, accept it, and have no regrets. And maybe they could have had Thanksgiving together afterwards. No, I mean, they ruined it all because they just wouldn't give in to God's way. And you say, well, it's too late. I've got too many marks. No, I understand, but Jacob got to move forward. You talk about marks on your ledger. Starting from this moment, friend, choose to operate God's way instead of yours. And someday the asterisks that seem so large in your life will be so far in the past. And you'll just be moving forward with God's blessings. So you don't have to have an asterisk. Number two, an asterisk doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to define you. Sometimes we look at our regrets and we look at our mistakes and that's all we see. And Jacob had plenty, but listen, that didn't keep God from using him. God wasn't done with him. God God looked at Jacob as the one he wanted to bless, not the one with that big asterisk back there. No, he still blessed him in spite of the regrets and in spite of the mistakes. And if God doesn't define us by our mistakes, why do we? Number three, if you'll respond to the mistake with humility, God wants to turn your life around. Most people respond with regret or anger or they just throw in the towel. Those are the natural responses. And you can do those and just continue the cycle. Or you can say, God, your way is way better than mine. I have too many disclaimers in my life and in your strength, God, help me. I could be a good employee, but I like diligence. God, help me. I want to be a good spouse, but I like patience. Father, help me. I want a good relationship with my parents, but I need to honor them. God, help me. I'm doing okay in my Bible reading and and church attendance, but my prayer life, well, that's a big asterisk there. God, help me. I mean, here's a great truth. And if there was none other I wanted you to get today, is that we serve a God with no asterisks. You know what? Jesus Christ came and was perfect because he knew we couldn't be. He came and he's perfect so that we don't have to be because he knew 
we'd have a ledger full of marks. But he also made a way to see them all erased. The cross can erase your asterisks. And it's time to stop living with them and ask him to forgive you and move forward. Confess and forsake and move forward. Here's the message. Do it without the asterisk. It's possible. It's preferable. And I'm telling you, it's God's will. God's will is best. And his plan is ultimately going to happen. You can either get on board with no regrets. Or you can keep doing it your way. And have an asterisk. The choice is yours. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We have, we're going to sing. And I would encourage you this morning to sing the invitation song with Brother Samuel. 505, have thine own way. I'm going to pray. And let's, let's just let God do work in our lives. I think too many of us have grown content or used to holding on to things that keep us from being what God wants us to be. And that asterisk is only going to get bigger and it's only going to multiply unless you confess, forsake, and move forward. I mean, you can either get, in, get on the train with God and move forward or you can do it with regret. I say, let's be a people that follow God without the mistake, without the regrets, I should say. Let's move on without the asterisks. He, he gives you the opportunity to do it this morning. Would you submit? If, you, if you've come this morning and you don't know that you're saved, you say, boy, my ledger is full. It's got all marks all over it. Why don't you step forward this morning and just ask God for the courage to do it. Somebody could show you from God's word how you can know for sure you're saved and your sins are forgiven. That can happen this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We ask that you would do work in our lives. We need you, Lord. The asterisks, they, they really do hold us back. And, and yeah, we may have some in our past, but you don't, you, don't affect, you don't allow them to affect our future. You forgive, you allow us to move forward, and you still want to use us, God, and I thank you for it. I thank you for being a perfect God who has no regrets and has made no mistakes. As you are the only one capable of forgiving me when I do. God, if there's anyone here this morning who isn't saved, I pray that today would be the day they have the courage to step out and place their faith in Christ. Have your will and way in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.